And now I'll introduce our special guest. Hundreds of years ago, some smart merchants found a way to reduce the risk they took when they financed ships on trade expeditions, especially to the New World and Asia. The concept was elegantly simple, and it made perfect sense. They spread, that, they spread the risk around. Everyone paid a little, so individuals who were protected from huge losses when disaster struck, which sooner or later it invariably did. The first real insurance company was founded after the Great Fire of London in 1666, which destroyed four-fifths of the city. Those founders were shrewd businessmen, too. One of the first things they did as a company was organize the equivalent of today's fire departments. Even then, it was all about managing and mitigating risk. Today, many insurance companies are huge, multifaceted investment and protection conglomerates, safeguarding clients against loss, illness, and general calamity is only one of the things that they do. They're part of the financial services industry, selling and managing products that make money for their companies and their clients. Modern insurance companies have taken financial protection to a whole other level. They help their clients have enough money to live on in later years and to avoid losing what wealth they can accumulate, still managing risk. Our guest today leads one of Canada's oldest and most venerable insurance institutions. When Joseph Iannicelli took the helm of the Standard Life Insurance Company of Canada six years ago, he stepped into a tradition that had been 175 years in the making. But his duties definitely belonged to the 21st century. Today, with investor confidence wavering, the market's turbulent, and entire countries teetering on the brink of financial collapse, his message is one of education, confronting reality, and taking responsibility. And couldn't do it at a better time. Please welcome the President and CEO of the Standard Life Assurance Company of Canada, Joseph Yanicelli. Thank you very much, John. Thank you to the CGA of Ontario for sponsoring today's lunch. Thanks to our head table guests. Thank you to everyone in the room. I really appreciate your attendance. I've spoken in the past about some of the great macroeconomic issues which we face in the world of business. Risk management, global expansion. We talked about risk. John mentioned risk. I coined a term where you cannot de-risk yourself to greatness. I like risk. I think we should take risk, but that's a different speech. But as I considered my subject for today's remarks, I was struck by how many of the global economic issues we have faced in the past couple of years have their roots in more microeconomic circumstances. In the rush to consider the global issues related to the economy, we often ignore the more local micro issues, forgetting the adage to look after the nickels and let the dollars look after themselves. Principal among these issues is the role of the individual consumer in the economy, which I fear has been too often overlooked to great economic peril. So today, I've chosen to speak about financial responsibility and individual empowerment. Canadian consumers do not understand financial risk. That's the headline of a news release put out recently by a research group called TNS Canadian Facts. TNS surveyed over 1,100 Canadians and discovered that 9 out of 10 respondents could not answer three basic questions about financial risk. This is an unsettling result. The financial crisis we suffered through over the past couple of years created a huge awareness of financial issues amongst Canadians, 
but it has not caused them to ask more questions. But while it raised awareness, it has not, unfortunately, led to a more educated consumer. If anything, it is pointed out to a glaring hole in financial literacy. It is interesting that the TNS survey talks about Canadian consumers and not just about Canadians. I don't think that's a fluke. Collectively, consumers wield great economic power and they vote with their wallets every day to buy the goods and services they need for want or want. That includes financial services like mutual funds and insurance. The consumer rules with an iron fist. Just ask Chrysler or GM, whose own financial crises were ultimately caused by their failure to produce vehicles that customers wanted, or ask success stories like Apple or RIM, whose products so dominate our culture. Consumers are a big group and they get what they want. While there is safety and power in groups, we have to be careful of the pack mentality. Group think can be a dangerous thing. It allows each of us to hide behind others and can give us false comfort about what and how we consume. It can provide a false sense of security in how we handle or mishandle our money. Just because everyone is doing it doesn't make it right. Financial literacy is an individual issue, not a consumer issue. During the recent financial crises, Canadian consumers of all ages and backgrounds lost a lot of money in investments like mutual funds and shares in some of Canada's leading companies. Did they know that they can lose all or a substantial part of their investments? I doubt it. How many of you know someone who has postponed retirement uh, just because their investments no longer allow them to retire this year or next year? The financial services industry could and should have done more to protect consumers. That's a given. My premise today, however, is that consumers themselves need to take more responsibility for their own financial affairs, including their choice of investments. After all, we're not just consumers. We're individuals, spouses, parents, colleagues, community members, and more. Every Canadian is an individual, and we all take responsibility, and we all should take responsibility for our own lives, for our own families, every day. That should include responsibility for our financial affairs. Why is it then that we may not invest as much time in our financial future as we do in, say, purchasing a car or we were talking about a plaza, plasma screen TV? How is it that we know so little about something as important as saving for retirement or using debt prudently? Here are some of the facts that the Federal Task Force on Financial Literacy, of which Jacques Menard, our head table, is on, uh, a really great initiative, has learned. Among young adults, 45% postpone their credit card balance from one month to another, and less than half of them know that they are paying interest on the postponed amount. Only 15% of workers aged 25 to 45 have set objectives and have developed a plan for retirement. Many Canadians believe that their Canada Pension Plan will take care of them in their old age, but they are not aware of the relatively small amounts that the CPP will pay them. In fact, many households in Canada are not saving enough to pay basic expenses in retirement, yet their needs in retirement are getting more and more great. Canadian expectations of their, of their retirement income are completely out of line with what they are earning and what they are saving today. 
Canadian households' consumer debt exploded over the past 20 years, rising from 90% to 140% of income. In fact, many Canadians will go into retirement with a mortgage still owing on their homes. Our parents would never have accepted this. My father detested the whole idea of debt, uh, as I'm sure many of our parents did. And, and other than the mortgage on his home, of which he had for a very short period of time, he owed money to no one. We, al we always had a nice family car, which my dad paid in cash. And knowing that the car would not last forever, this is a God's honest true story, knowing that the car would not last forever, he started saving for his next car the day after he took possession of his new car because he knew in 15 years he would need another car. And we would have a rope tied to the door, but that car would last 15 years because that's when the money was there to buy a new one. He knew how to budget and he knew how to stick to his budget. Many, if not most Canadians today, do not know how to budget. And most have never had a personal budget to guide their spending. Canada's youths are living beyond their means. 60% of them are in debt and a third of them hold more than $10,000 in debt. And we as parents are also partially to blame. Or as I like to say to my house, we blame the grandparents. We did a, a, a test of my kids. I have three kids. And they're probably just as spoiled as some of the other uh, kids in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the audience. Not that your kid's in the audience, <laughs> but you know what I mean. And uh, we went to, to uh, a fast food, uh, they wanted junk food, so we went to a mall, went to a fast food place, and my wife and I just sat down, we gave them $20, there's three of them. We gave them $20 and we said, okay, go, go buy your lunch. And we kind of walked away and sat down quite, quite far, and we just kind of observed, observed that they were going to the counter. And you saw them pointing, and you know, I want this and I want that. They get to the counter, there's a lineup, they get to the counter, and we see this flurry of activity. And there's panic. Why? because they bought 23 or $24 worth of food. They had $20 in their hand. So they're looking around for their parents. <laughs> their parents are nowhere to be found, purposely. Uh, thank goodness we had some very um, kind and, and, uh, and patient people in the rest of the line. But we, I finally walked over to them and I said, uh, what's going on? Well, Dad, we don't have enough money. I said, oh, what'd you buy? Well, we bought this and that. And I said, well, how much was it? what was total, and I said, but why would you buy $23 worth of stuff if you only had $20 in your pocket? Well, we didn't look at the prices. Well, why wouldn't you have looked at the prices? Well, because it's lunch, and we never look at the prices when we buy stuff. <laughs> and it struck me that we're part of this problem. And that, again, is a true, true story. And I would suggest some adults fall into that uh, category as well. So just who is responsible for this situation? There are a lot of theories for the explosion in personal debt, but one of the more prominent explanations is Ronald Reagan. As the US president in the mid-80s, he initiated deregulation of the financial services industry, making it much easier for people to borrow from banks and get credit cards. The effect of that legislation was to create a debt-inspired spending boom on everything from holidays and televisions to cars and housing. Household debt was only 60% of income when Reagan took over, about the same as it was during the Kennedy administration two decades earlier. By 2007, two decades later, household consumer debt as a percentage of income had doubled from 60% to 119%. People stopped saving to buy things. People bought things because they wanted to buy them, worried about paying for them later.
Some think Ray Reagan is the villain in this scenario, but frankly, I doubt it. We most certainly can question some of the ethics of the wide number of banks uh, and non-bank lenders throughout North America for encouraging so many people on both sides of the border to take on more credit card and consumer debt. However, just because someone offers me a credit card or a line of credit doesn't mean that I'm obliged to accept it, and I'm certainly not obliged to use it. Just because a store offers no interest, no payment deal for three years, doesn't mean we should buy new furniture. This is individual responsibility, and it goes further than that. I think we all know in the financial services industry that many of our products are sold to the consumer, not purchased or chosen by them. Individuals need to ask more questions about the products that they're presented with. They have to ask more questions about the fees that they're paying and the value of the advice that they're receiving, especially when markets tumble. I have to ask myself why an individual consumer doesn't stand up and say, you'll be paid on the basis of performance, according to benchmarks that are agreed upon. The individual needs to learn more about the risks associated with their decisions and the value that they're receiving for the advice that they're buying. I want to emphasize very, very strongly that here that I'm not trying to transfer blame of the financial crisis to the individual consumer or even to consumers as a group. I also want to make it clear that I'm not talking about those whose circumstances are such that they cannot fend for themselves. In fact, the financial crisis simply made it clear that a responsible individual needs to govern his or home financial affairs properly and to do this needs to learn more and invest more time in order to better understand the impact of his or her own spending and savings habits. The responsible individual is better educated about financial products and is ready to challenge our industry by making smart choices, just like the choices he or she makes when purchasing a car, house, or food for the family. The responsible individual also does a better job of saving for the future. Governments have made it easy for us to save through RSPs and tax-free spending accounts and other vehicles that are out there. Yet, Canadians are not fully taking advantage of these programs. Research from the fall says that only one in five Canadian households opened up a TFSA account. One in five. Also, the one out of three Canadians who contribute to RSPs use only 6% of their RSP room. So why are Canadians not rushing to these obvious savings programs. I sit on a task force with other industry representatives at the Canadian uh, Life and Health Insurance Association. We're studying changes, potential changes in pension legislation with a view to finding private sector solutions to some of the issues that, uh, that we've encountered. Broadly speaking, we want to ensure that programs are in place to encourage Canadians to save for their retirement and to facilitate savings. It appears that I'm describing a sorry state of affairs. Well, I think I am, actually. All of the stakeholders in the financial services industry, from individuals to employers, from financial services companies to governments and regulators, have something to answer for in creating this untenable situation. The financial services industry has not been very good so far as educating consumers about financial risk, nor at creating simple, easy-to-understand products and services. Our products seem to be getting more and more and more complicated, less easy to understand. Governments, while providing individuals with some excellent opportunities to save, have also been lax in helping Canadians understand what they need to do to plan for their future. How many schools, we were talking about this at the table, how many schools offer compulsory courses on the basics of budgeting 
and planning to their young students. Not many, at least not yet. We're hoping that changes. And finally, Canadians have themselves to blame. Canadians have to care more about their current financial situation by budgeting and spending more reasonably, using debt more intelligently, and accumulating savings more diligently. I'm not saying that we should all stop enjoying life, but we do need to better understand that the philosophy of spending as though only today counts might just backfire when we are in our 70s and 80s with only our government pension and small supplements to support us. Canadians have to learn to balance current consumption with long-term planning for retirement. My point here is that there exists in Canada a serious financial literacy deficit. Canadians do not generally understand how to manage their financial situation or they don't want to. It's a growing social issue that must be addressed. So what do we do and who does what? To start, all of the stakeholders need to reconsider their focus. I've already suggested what individuals should do. That's learn, budget, and save. To do so is to take responsibility and to empower the individual. The rest of the stakeholders, the financial services industry, employers of all sizes, government, need to focus on helping Canadians overcome their paralysis, and I'll call it paralysis, and helping them to learn, budget, and save. Government needs to make it easier for employers, including small and medium-sized enterprises, to step up to bat and do more for their employees. Of all stakeholders, employers are closest to the individual. We see our employees every single day. They have a stake in our businesses, and we have a stake in their lives. Canadians should be given greater access to workplace retirement plans. If every workplace, as an example, if every workplace with 20 employees or more was required to produce, to provide a group plan, it would ensure that at least 80% of private sector workers have access to a group plan compared to only about 50% currently. And of course, the follow-up to that is make sure they contribute to the plan that they actually have been given access to, which is, might be the bigger problem. It could be done by allowing any employer, including self-employed workers, to participate in a single defined contribution plan for multiple unrelated employers. The CLHA has put out a paper on some of our recommendations. You can, you can get that online if you like. Governments might also consider working together to educate and motivate Canadians to think more about their retirement planning. A government-sponsored public awareness campaign would be a great place to start, making people more mindful of their responsibilities. Maybe governments should even consider a scare campaign to get attention. I really do believe the situation is that serious and it will explode on us later on. Asking the government to get involved in changing Canadians' behaviour is not new. It's not easy, but it's not new. Governments have always done this type of campaign on issues ranging from using public transportation more to encouraging kids to stay in school or uh, encouraging uh, people not to smoke. Saving for the future is an important issue and we need to get Canadians to act now. There are tools out there right now to teach our children early and to teach adults more about finance and savings, but unfortunately, they aren't engaging enough or don't seem to be working. There's something not right because there are a lot of things out there that are not being used. Again, school curricula should include mandatory courses on the basics of financial literacy. Parents should also be part of their children's financial education. The financial services industry must continue to be a pivotal player in interacting with and educating the consumer. There is much that we can do. 
We can simplify our product offerings, proposing fewer products with better explanations of which financial objectives are met, the degree of risk associated with the product, and a realistic analysis of what taking that risk means to the consumer. We can be more creative in building group plans for small and medium-sized businesses. We need to respond to businesses' concerns about cost and time needed to administer plans, and we need to help these employers provide education programs to employees. We can provide better, simpler tools for researching and choosing products and services. Obviously, they should be internet-based, and while most of the tools should be self-help, perhaps we ought to find a more user-friendly way to provide feedback for questions and issues. We can increase our consumers' interest in financial matters by being more creative in our approach to education and marketing. Finally, the products and services we recommend should have strong benefits that help our clients build towards their futures. These concerns are part of the main concerns of Standard Life and other members of the financial services industries in Canada and, and abroad. We were the first insurance company to, establish, to be established in Canada 177 years ago. It might come as a surprise to most uh, that individual life insurance only represents about 5% of our business. We were the first to offer group retirement plans in Canada, and we continue to strive to innovate to encourage plan members' involvement. In Canada, we created Plan for Life, a multimedia program that we launched to cut out the complexity and confusion with a clear message that focuses on the essentials of investing in the future. We also launched a user-friendly online retirement dashboard that allows members to quickly view their holdings, manage their plans, and investment performance. In Scotland, with two partners, we developed the On the Money program. It aims to build up the financial capability of primary school pupils. The results are very positive. In four years, we reached 45,000 children in 1,800 schools. So there's a lot we can do, uh, but we're, and, and we are well on our way. At the retail level, Standard Life is structured to work on, uh, through an independent network of financial advisors. We will keep on working with these advisors to provide them with tools and support to help consumers understand their financial choices. But ultimately, Canadians must take responsibility for their own finances on a daily basis and in their planning for a life after they've stopped working. Individual responsibility is individual empowerment. Learning about our personal finances and taking responsibility for them is empowerment. Learning is a benefit to us as individuals and as a country. It all helps us to live well and live better. One leads clearly to the other. If we take responsibility for our financial futures, then Canada will be even a better place to live for everyone. I want to leave you each with one, uh, leave you each with one final message today as individuals, as individuals. Learn, budget, save. Thank you very much. I'd now like to ask Howard Brown to come to the podium, director of the Caney Club of Toronto. Thank you, John. I've been asked to uh, provide the thanks today to Mr. Ryan and Shelley, and it's interesting that uh, he talks about his father today, because before lunch we were talking 
My father was a top insurance salesman for one of his predecessor companies, Standard Life. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to thank you today. I think what you talked about today in closing with learn, budget, and save, you've taken a message that we all need to hear. And I think it's inspiring to hear such provocative and, and interesting ideas and really proactive ideas to get Canadians thinking about their financial future. And as you've said many times, real progress and change only come with the right combination of leadership, creativity, and really a willingness to take calculated but responsible risks. Last fall, you showed all three when you approached the federal and provincial governments about partnering with the insurance industry to find better ways to create wealth and security for Canadians. In today's economy, with so much uncertainty, there's a strong case to be made for government and private industry to work together to help people save and manage their money. Your ideas are ones whose time have certainly come. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and thank you very much. Thanks, Howard, and thank you again, Mr. Yanicelli, for your uh, inspired talk. We appreciate that very much. And thanks once again to our sponsors, Certified General Accountants of Ontario. Again, thank you very much, Doug, uh, for making today possible. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. Uh, this meeting is now adjourned. Have a good afternoon. Thank you.